It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Time for another edition of Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Brian Doe. He is the certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond. Check us out online at MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to past episodes and subscribe. Brian, great to chat with you once again this time around. And I know that on our last podcast, we talked about how you had been uh, doing some driving down to the lake and it got your kind of wheels spinning as you were listening to some other podcasts that aren't called Make the Dough Rise, but listening to some revisionist history podcasts. And uh, one of them really got your wheels turning when it came to the financial world and taxes, and in particular, the Boston Tea Party. And we're going to use that as our launching point for today's show. But tell us a little bit about what you learned in that revisionist history about the Boston Tea Party. Sure, Walter. That was by Malcolm Gladwell, who does some really, really interesting insights into economic behavior. He's done a biblical story with Goliath, David and Goliath. Definitely check his work out as soon as you finish this podcast. The topic that he was talking about was the Boston Tea Party, and we have this idea that it was country-loving patriots that were being taxed, and they were revolting by you know throwing all this tea in, into the Boston Harbor. Well, Somebody went back and actually checked the insurance logs versus the customs logs. And the point being is an importer might have a incentive to lie to the customs agent because that's where the tax is going to be levied. But where you're buying insurance for your cargo and maybe taking a more dangerous route, you are very honest with your insurance company because if something goes wrong, you want to recover you know, the full cost of your cargo and, you know, be commensurate with the risk that you're taking for them to be willing to pay. So we've got this intersection of taxes and insurance and money, and I found it quite fascinating. Well, what what the insurance logs revealed was that what was being insured was often very different than what was being claimed at the import and customs desk on a lot of these cargo ships that were coming into Boston or, you know, just ports north or south of Boston. What was actually happening was tea was being smuggled into the country. It was bypassing the ports in Britain. It was actually hitting some Dutch ports and they had, you know, fake paperwork from along the way to make everything look right. But they were basically smuggling tea into the country. And a lot of the founding fathers were involved in this. John Hancock, Sam Adams, everybody was was in on the deal. And Britain actually found out about this. They knew what was going on. And so instead of the legal British tea that had the taxes imposed on it, well, the the tax was making it less competitive or unaffordable relative to the smuggled tea. So Britain actually lowered the taxes on legal tea, which made it competitive with the smuggled tea. And so the revolt was not by the freedom-loving, honest patriots of of America, it was the smugglers who boarded the boats of the the legal British tea and threw hundreds of of chests of tea into Boston Harbor in protest, and I'm using air quotes there, to basically run the government out of what was effectively a smuggling operation. But once the country was you know, achieving independence, and a lot of these same people were involved in now the now legitimate government of the United States. What was the one thing that they did? They implemented a tax on tea, 
back to the original levels that it was in the first place. So, you know, interesting story, a little different little take on what we what we've always thought of as the uh, patriotic and taxation without representation mantra of the of the Boston Tea Party. Go back and listen to it. It's definitely worth worth listening to. Yeah, absolutely. Go check that out. Cool podcast, Revisionist History. Definitely one of the popular ones out there and a uh, good one to learn a lot of neat stuff, not just about financial stuff as well. Obviously, they cover a lot of different historical topics there. Our focus certainly is on the financial side of things. And on today's show, we are talking about taxes. And you probably saw something in the headline of today's program about the top 10 tax hikes without officially raising taxes. So we're going to look back through history and look at the top 10 tax hikes that we were exposed to without, I guess, what, what do we mean? Let's start there, uh, Brian, by officially raising taxes. We're talking about, what, loopholes here? Is that the right way to describe these things or just crafty ways of <laughs> making these impacts happen? Yeah, sure. Well, if you've followed me or listened to my presentations or had a, you know, checked out a copy of the, the book that we've got out, the government's going to have to do something to raise taxes in the future. But the last thing that they want to do is officially go on the record of raising tax rates. And those are the basic income tax rates that, that you would pay. So what I've I've been watching the news, I've been listening to the politicians, I've been uh, hearing people analyze and comment on where tax revenue could come from. And there are a number of things that can be done to raise tax revenues and not actually raise the top line income tax number. The politics of it is, is if they vote through a tax increase, that's going to turn everybody off. That jeopardizes re-election. George H.W. Bush got caught up with the read my lips, no new taxes, and they had to raise taxes and, and he had to go back on that promise. And it arguably you know, cost him uh, at least a part of his reelection when his second term came around. So what I'm looking for are ways that they can raise taxes or cut into benefits to offset the you know, large outflows that they've got without actually raising top line income tax numbers. And I'm going to start with the things that I'm pretty sure will happen. And then I will end with the less likely or less impactful or just the ones that are coming off of the campaign trail today. And, and so these are things, just to give you a, an example in the past, in the dead of night, forget what year it was, I think it was 2014 or 2015, they changed social security claiming rules. There, there used to be a number of social security claiming strategies that couples could use to enhance their lifetime benefit. And they just did away with those rules with a stroke of a pen. And, and so suddenly that was a, an option that was no longer available. So let me take that and put that on to what are the possible ways that they could increase taxes? And again, doing it in an area where it's not as visible that they're clearly raising you know, tax rates, top line tax rates that everybody understands. That's well, a great you, point because I, I feel like uh, for many, many years we go through life really just thinking about two things and that's the sales tax and income tax. And you kind of think when the word taxes is thrown about that that's really the two items we're talking about. So uh, this is helpful to see all the other ways that you know money kind of falls out of our pockets, right? So I'm sure, looking forward sure, sure. to the top 10 list here. 
Well, so, and, and I'll come back to the uh, the income tax versus sales tax and the ones that we forget to look at is my second item. But item number one, and the obvious one, is the way that they pass tax cuts anymore is with an expiration date. So if you go back and look at the Trump tax cuts, they were put in as a temporary cut in 2025. The rates will revert back to what they were before the cuts. Now, this happened with George Bush. Obama let his tax cuts expire. And you know, depending on who wins re-election, this could happen sooner. But as it looks right now, in 2025, the Trump tax cuts will expire and we will go back to the rates that we had prior to these cuts. So there's one I can just about guarantee and put a date on it, 2025 specifically. So that gives my clients and I at least a three to seven year window that we can make maneuvers and take advantage of, of current tax rates uh, before those expire. All right. So the Trump tax rates and the expiration of those a couple of years from now, one kind of sneaky example of how there's just a, a built in increase without anybody having to say, I am increasing taxes. Yeah, um, there's no vote on it. Nobody right. goes on the record. They just let the they cuts just expire. We didn't raise rates. We let the cuts expire. Right. All right. What's number two? On semantic the trick. So if you've listened to podcast number two, where we talked about the Secure Act, and there's two components of that. One of them that I have not talked about and one that is sort of off the radar of most people is FICA and payroll taxes. We see, you know, federal tax withholding, state tax withholding, and we we sort of ignore the FICA and Medicare withholdings as a smaller number. It's just something that we have to pay. We know we're going to get a future benefit for that. So we don't, I don't think we stew about the payroll taxes as much as we do the income taxes. But in that SECURE Act was a proposal to raise FICA from 6.2 to 7.4% and lifting the income amount on that to include additional income. Right now, if you earn $132,000 a year, I think it is, is, you cap out of the Social Security or FICA tax. And what they would like to do is just raise that income limit. So they're increasing the rate or proposing increasing the rate and increasing the amount of income that's going to be taxed on that. Well, if you're self-employed, you pay your 7.4%, and as the employer, you get to pay the other 7.4%. So if you're self-employed, you're looking at a you know a 14.8, almost 15% item that is going to be related to payroll taxes. Okay, helpful information on that one as well. So some sneaky ways here we're seeing, and we're only we're only too deep into this, Brian. Yeah. So I'm kind of scared of what we're going to find as we go through all of these other examples of how taxes can get raised without officially doing so. Sure. Well, so again, that Secure Act. Again, I would encourage people to go back and listen to episode two if you want a, a detailed breakdown of this one, but eliminating the stretch IRA or changing stretch IRA rules or or formulas is one way that, you know, I think people generally understand they have to take distributions at age 70 and a half. They possibly have some understanding of how the stretch IRA works for non-spouse beneficiaries, but by eliminating the stretch provision for non-spouses, you're effectively accelerating the distribution of money from IRA accounts, and it's going to be taxed at, therefore, higher rates. And so that, uh, again, we explained in more detail in episode two, but that's a clear one that's actually being 
moved through the legislative bodies, both on the House and the Senate, a couple different versions of the same bill, but there's almost unanimous agreement on doing something on these last two. So I would put a high probability on one, two, and three happening. Okay. What's the fourth item, a fourth tax hike that can happen without officially raising taxes? Well, now this would actually be an increase, but again, it wouldn't increase income taxes. But right now we are at a historic low on capital gains tax rates. If your taxable income is below $77,000 for a joint couple, your capital gains tax rate is zero. If you're above $77,000, then your capital gains tax rate is 15%. And then for High income, and it depends on whether it's individuals or, or couples, but it's into the three, four hundred thousand dollars of income. The capital gains tax rate goes to twenty percent plus a three point eight percent Obamacare surcharge. So, depending on what income level you're at, capital gains tax rates are different, but again, historically low. These are fantastically low rates for long-term capital gains. It would be very easy and there would be very little opposition to increasing capital gains tax rates because those affect the wealthy, right? I mean, you've got a million-dollar portfolio. You're, you're a rich guy. Why should you only have to pay 15% on your capital gains when I'm paying you know, 22 or 25% on my income? That's one I hear a lot of talk about. That's interesting. Yeah, that's one that would certainly impact a certain group of people, but not necessarily everyone. But the group that it does affect could experience big impacts from that. Kind of like it almost seems like you're getting hit twice again, right? So just every little place you can possibly make some money, they're going to find ways to increase or, uh, you know, get their share. And they can kind of, it seems to me like, Brian, they can kind of toy with those capital gains tax rules a little bit easier than they can, obviously, the big income tax rules because it doesn't affect everybody. So a lot of people, it's not out of the public consciousness in some ways. I don't think it has as big of an impact on the voter consciousness if they go after and tax the air quotes, the wealthy here, whereas the average person may not have a lot of capital gains issues that they've you know experienced big capital gains taxes. So they don't care. There's a, a large percent of the population that just sees that as irrelevant and a tax on somebody else. And one thing that I have generally found is people are perfectly fine with taxes being raised on everybody that has more money than them. <laughs> it's a great but below, point. below that threshold, no, 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 don't, don't, don't tax me. But yeah, those rich guys, of course, yeah. So if you make 100000 everybody making 200000 fine, tax them. If you're making three hundred, then those that are making 400000 yeah, tax them. Well said. There's a thousand different thresholds that are acceptable, just different to everybody who looks at them, right? Yeah. So it's different for one person than the next. All right. So that's the uh, the capital gains tax increase causes a big issue. We're at number five in the list of the top 10 tax hikes that occur or could occur in the future without officially raising taxes. What else do we need to know? All right. Well, this is a close relative of the capital gains tax issue. So right now, if you have a highly appreciated asset, you bought stock or you had company stock in a regular brokerage account, so not in an IRA, and it's appreciated in value, you've just held it, it pays good dividends, no particular reason to sell it, or maybe you're not selling it because you have an embedded capital gain, you bought the stock you know, decades ago for a fraction of what it's worth today. So selling it would cause a big capital gain. So what you're going to do is hold that stock and let it pass to your heirs 
And right now you get a step up in the cost basis. So if you inherit a highly appreciated stock position or land or, or any other asset for that matter, you get a step up in cost basis and you never have to pay that capital gains tax on that appreciated asset. So the elimination of the step up in basis for heirs inheriting a highly appreciated asset could go away. And that's a close cousin, I would say, to the elimination of the stretch IRA. They're just going to accelerate the rate at which they collect the taxes. And in this case, where there would be no tax, they're just going to go back and say, well, the, the asset's still highly appreciated and you're going to have to pay the tax on that appreciation. That one seems like it would have, uh, if that were to come true, that would have a huge impact on a lot of people. Again, not necessarily in the consciousness of the everyday voter, but still, I mean, that's a big tax burden that someone now takes on. That's a big benefit currently. I mean, I can't tell you how many clients I actually have that were holding positions that you might sell if if it was just a truly tax neutral equation. But, you know, for parents of clients, we look at positions that are, are highly appreciated or maybe they've lost the cost basis too, and reconstructing that cost basis would be difficult. By letting that just pass through the will or probate and getting that step up in basis, it simplifies life. It eliminates the tax consequence. You don't have to do a lot of reconstruction of cost basis for the IRS. It's just really a nice tool to be able to have that step up in basis. And if they eliminate it, that really actually impacts a lot more people than it might be obvious to it uh, at first glance. On the advanced copy of this list, the top 10 tax hikes that happen without officially raising taxes, I see the next one is called surcharges. What's that? Well, so uh, like I mentioned when I was talking about capital gains, above a certain income level, the Obamacare legislation or the Affordable Care Act created a 3.8% surcharge on capital gains and incomes above certain thresholds. So they've done this in the past. They've tied a tax surcharge to a specific piece of legislation and then pegged that for a certain income level. And then that's being paid by some percentage of the population. So it's not unfathomable to think that they could come up with a, another type of surcharge or add a kicker tax to certain income levels or certain categories of income. And I don't have any specific candidates as yet that this could happen to. But again, as I'm working down the list here, we're getting to speculative, less likely. But again, this is something that was done in the past, and it's a 3.8% surcharge or tax tied to a specific piece of legislation. And they could reduce the income thresholds that that impacts they could tag it to all capital gains. There's a lot of things that they could do with it where people aren't necessarily paying attention. And there you go. We snuck in another tax. So we're, we're not a fan of surcharges, it sounds like. Well, it depends on whether you're on the receiving end or the paying end, I guess. Yeah, I guess with every, like with everything else, right? <laughs> right, right. The next item on the list, taxing Social Security a little bit higher. The, uh, the means test, is that where this comes into play? Well, so the, this is me being purely speculative at this stage. There's actually talk about improving the taxability of Social Security, but I'm going to take you back to 19, early 1980s. Social Security was on the verge of depletion. They literally did not have the funding approval to make checks payable over about a two-week time period. So we've 
had a situation in the past where Social Security was on the verge of you know, bankruptcy or going broke. So Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill came together and what they agreed to do was make Social Security benefits taxable above a certain income level. Well, now think about that for just a minute. What is that without calling it by name? It's means testing. Oh, you have a certain income level, therefore you don't need this benefit as much. Well, they didn't go and cut the benefit. They made the benefit taxable. Same result, above a certain income level, we're going to give you your social security benefit and oh, and now we're going to take a little bit of that back. And that is means testing based on an income level. So what could happen? Well, they might say, hey, you've you've saved, you've got a million dollars in that IRA and you've got a half a million dollars in your savings and brokerage account. You don't need social security. This is really a safety net item. You've got all that money and therefore, I don't know, they maybe they reduce your benefit. Maybe they make 100% of your Social Security benefit taxable. Maybe they make it taxed at a higher rate. Again, these are all speculative things, but I don't think they are. To think that they're not discussed at some level of the legislative making body would be uh, probably naive to think that it's not, not at least being considered. Yeah. Now, that one would affect some of the voting population, I would imagine. If you look at the common theme of vilifying the 1% or the rich, you you hear a lot of talk about the inequality, growing inequality, wealth disparity. It plays well with, well, you know, these rich people don't need their Social Security benefits, so we'll just take it from them and redistribute to the people that need it. Now, never mind if you've spent every dime that you've earned and you didn't bother to save, well, then you may still get your benefit because you were less responsible. That's my fear of it, is it, it rewards irresponsibility if they do something like that. But uh, Social Security is massively popular. Everybody that pays gets a benefit. It's been around for a long time and remains one of the most popular programs, but I would argue it's because everyone that pays receives a benefit. And if you tinker with that formula, I think you risk tinkering with the popularity of the program. And that would be dangerous. Yeah, definitely. We have the VAT tax on here, V-A-T, not the fat tax, but the V-A-T, the VAT tax. That's number eight on our list, Brian. So recently, my wife went on a mission trip to South Africa, and on the way to Cape Town, she had a transit through Paris. Team was already there, so they they got to spend like one night in Paris, and uh, she had her eye on a particular luxury item that... Well, she'd been looking at for quite some time, and I don't know if it was a factor of the exchange rate or actually being in Paris, but she made a significant purchase. But she didn't quite want me to know about it. But to get your refund of the VAT tax, which is a value-added tax on luxury items or big purchase items and is very popular in Europe, she had to give them a credit card number to receive the VAT tax back. Well, she knows I monitor that. So she had to tell me that Well, there's going to be a a significant credit coming to your credit card. So if you see something like that, it's legitimate. Well, I know how VAT tax works. If you're getting hundreds of dollars of VAT tax back, you've spent a lot more than that (laughs) to qualify for it. So I was like, what did you buy? Well, she found her a very nice purse at the Louis Vuitton store over there. And man, did she, Walter, I can't tell you how good of a bargain she got on that. It's just, it was too good to pass up. But in in Europe, they've had VAT taxes, which is value-added tax. And if you read David Walker's book, Come Back America, 
he's advocating for all kinds of tax increases to help fund Medicare and Social Security, or at least being necessary. Well, the value-added tax has been popular in Europe for years, and it's, you could call it a luxury tax or a consumption tax, whatever you want. Well, we have sales tax, and it varies by counties and by states and which items are subject to that tax. But I don't think it's impossible to imagine us going to some kind of a consumption tax. The income tax is a very progressive tax. VAT taxes and payroll taxes are very regressive. In fact, so they basically impact more people. You have more people paying in. So to uh, rule out a VAT tax, maybe it's not in the immediate future, but I definitely see that as a possibility and a risk to the people who are following my advice today, maybe doing Roth conversions, putting money into uh, tax-advantaged accounts, they could turn around and, and zap us on the other end. So you get taxed when you earn it, taxed when you make money on it, taxed when you spend it. Yeah, that one is uh, seems like a souped-up sales tax, right? I mean, I'm not wrong in kind of viewing it that way. No, 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 not at all. It's okay. basically what it is. Okay. We have uh, two left on our list of top 10 tax hikes that happen without officially raising taxes and could happen again in the future. What's number nine? An increase in Medicare supplement cost. And I probably should have put this up a little bit higher up on the list. But right now, if you're collecting Social Security and part of it's being taxed, oh, and you're paying your Medicare supplement out of Social Security, we're back to this thing where they give with one hand and they take away with the other. So they don't increase Social Security, but they do increase Medicare supplement cost and your benefit magically goes down. Well, at certain income levels, your Medicare supplement premium goes up dramatically. There's $1 of income, and it's at about the $170,000 level. One additional dollar of income will trigger an additional $1,000, roughly, of increases in your Medicare supplement cost. Well, they could lower that number. They could uh, make that increased number applicable to a whole spectrum of, of income levels. And it's just one that I think they're going to have to do more to raise revenue. And the way they do it is just to increase the you know, the insurance premium that you're paying. Well, that's not really a tax, right? I mean, we're calling it a premium or an insurance premium. You're used to paying those you know, for insurance. And uh, again, just a, another possible way that they could increase taxes and do it in one of those gray areas where people aren't paying attention. Yep, lots of gray areas, it sounds like, in some of these examples. Uh, last but not least, number 10, tax hike that could happen without officially raising taxes. Well, so I'm going to talk about the estate tax. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm on my 20th year of being in the financial planning and, and investment world. And I think I have seen at least 15 different dollar amounts where the estate tax is effective. So when I started, a net worth of $675,000 caused you to have an estate tax issue. Then it got raised to a million and a million five, and then it went reverted back to the 675. And then for a decade, they came up with a sliding scale. And today, we're actually above $10 million that you can have and pass to your heirs estate tax-free. So the reason this one's on the bottom of my list is that that's going to affect 
fewer people, but I see a lot of people getting complacent about it because they think, oh, well, $10 million for myself, $10 million for my spouse. I'd have to have over $20 million before I have an estate tax problem. Well, that's today. I've seen that number change more frequently than any other tax number over the last two decades. So to think that, hey, I've got less than $20 million, I've got no estate tax problem, we could see that number fall dramatically. And if it ended up back down at the $675,000 level, all of a sudden it's a major problem for everybody. I don't know where or when or if that happens, but I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on. Again, that would be the estate tax that rounds out our top 10 tax hikes that could happen without officially raising taxes. But you know we couldn't just leave the list at 10. We've thrown in one bonus uh, tax here or quote unquote tax uh, into the equation here. Brian, what's our one bonus example? Well, all you have to do for just a minute is turn on the news about the political campaigns and you will hear all kinds of proposals and even uh polls of audiences and debate candidates about who believes in certain types of taxes. And the one that's getting a lot of traction right now is a wealth tax. And I won't name names, but you can probably research this and figure out who it's coming from. And it's basically a flat tax or a percentage tax on very large net worths. So they're just going to say, hey, you're wealthy. You have $50 million, we're going to charge you 2% of your assets. And a correlation to this would be like property taxes. You pay property taxes based on the value of your home or uh, land, whatever improvements you make will also increase your tax bill. Well, they're talking about applying the same concept to just net worth. If you've got $50 million, we're just going to charge you a 2% tax every year. If you've got over a billion, it's going to be 3%. Well, those numbers sound huge. So I think as proposed, that only affects maybe 75,000 families in the whole country. So again, a very small group impacted and therefore not a lot of negative voter repercussions from such a proposal. But if something like that gets implemented, I don't think it's impossible for that number to then creep down to maybe 25 million or 10 million, or maybe it's a million dollars. And maybe it's a smaller tax rate at those dollar amounts, but it's, it's being proposed. It plays well with a a particular audience on the campaign trail. And we'll see, there's lots of stuff being proposed and not a lot of clarity about which will actually happen. I'm just putting it on the radar for transparency. Yeah, it seems similar to the estate tax where it's kind of this sliding scale or slippery slope of maybe it's not a big deal at the first glance, but if it continued and continued, then how many people get affected? How big of a deal does it become? And you could apply that thinking to any of these, I would imagine. Yeah, I I think the common theme that you see here is how can we accelerate receiving taxes on all of these items that either have tax deferral or we might collect later, how, how do we move that up? How do we accelerate it? And so in the wealth tax, that's basically an acceleration of the estate tax. The capital gains step up would be an acceleration of uh, taxes on capital gains. The elimination of the stretch is the acceleration of taxes on IRAs. That's the, if I had to draw one overarching theme here is how do we accelerate collecting revenue through taxation of assets that have some form of tax deferral. 
Well, I feel like this was a really eye-opening podcast uh, to kind of just look at the myriad of ways that money can continue to bleed from our pockets, not just your standard income tax, property tax, sales tax, but all these other little moving parts too that maybe you don't get as much exposure to or you get kind of lost in the shuffle or they're just not things that you get educated on until they start impacting you down the line. And so it's eye-opening for me to hear about some of these things. And even if you knew about some of these things, I'm sure just the reminder and hearing them all kind of listed out one after another, that's another kind of eye-opening thing as well. So we kind of approach this from the perspective, Brian, of you know, I guess the, the, the rule makers of the people creating the, the terms and the ideas for the taxes. But what about from the everyday saver and the retiree who's, you know, looking to be done with work in a couple of years, looking to retire, going to try and live off of sort of that fixed income now for the next 10, 20, 30 or more years? It's probably kind of concerning to those folks to hear all of these different moving parts and how much they might be impacted. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of checking some boxes here of how many of these things would impact potentially a retiree. And there are several that get check marks is next to them. And so that's got to be a bit disconcerting for somebody preparing for retirement. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of these uh, potentially are heavily impact retirees or people who are nearing retirement are in, and are in their peak income years. So, yeah, this is not a, a list of taxes for somebody else. This is potentially for all of us. If somebody wants to find out more information, Brian, about how they can save in taxes, what should they do? Well, we've got a uh, website with a link where you can request a copy of our book, Diffuse, where we talk about the coming tax time bomb that will affect you know, retirement accounts and what you can do, steps you can take to position yourself now while, while rates are as low as they've been. Uh, retirementrescue.net is the website, and you can request a copy of the book, the Retirement Rescue Kit, and then we'll ultimately have an online course to go along with some of this. So if you read the book and you want to understand these issues more, then uh, it's an excellent resource if you're trying to tackle this yourself or just get an understanding of how we can add value as advisors and help you plan for these things. That's retirementrescue.net. Go to retirementrescue.net to get the book Diffuse and learn more information about how to save money in taxes, especially in retirement or as you prepare for retirement. One more time, go to retirementrescue.net. If you want to listen to past episodes of this podcast, Make the Dough Rise, all you have to do is go to makethedoughrise.com. You'll find all the episodes there or check us out on your favorite podcasting app. If you want to find all the subscribe links uh, from the major apps that are out there, we have them all listed on makethedoughrise.com. That's your resource on the web for the show. And of course, as always, if you want to schedule a 15-minute call with uh, Brian, you can do that by going to makethedoughrise.com or give a call to the office. 706-451-9800 is the number. That's 706-451-9800. And you can set up a 15-minute call to find out if working with Brian might be a good fit for you and ask some of the financial questions that are on your mind. Well, Brian, thanks for all the help walking us through these top 10 taxes, tax hikes that aren't official tax hikes. And uh, again, an eye-opening episode. I enjoyed it thoroughly and uh, I look forward to our next call. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on all of these and keep you posted on which ones materialize. But uh, I've enjoyed the discussion and glad you found it helpful. We will talk once again next time around right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Thanks for joining us. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you on the podcast next time.
Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.